Wasn't it Yope that said, the bike, the bike, that's all I like. Well, not for us. We cover life on and off the bike. You're listening to the Live Slow, Ride Fast podcast. When love ain't winning and moods start swinging, the devil's grinning, he keeps on singing. Hearts get heavy and time's an enemy. From Como to Lecky in Chianti, from Lombardy to the amazing Tuscan Hills, soundbound for 499 Ks in two days, including some climbing. Not too much, but some. It was the moment we had it all figured out. Hours of route building and planning. Exactly then, Lawrence adds another 4,000 meters of climbing and 60K of distance to the route. Out of the blue, the day before departure, to make things a bit more interesting and challenging. I was blown away, but not a single moment I objected. I took the blow. This was not the moment for shortcuts. This trip would be all about closing out and celebrating a long-lived cycling career. A career that has been one to remember and that I have great respect for. Respect for somebody following his own path instead of just following. Showing us what it means to stay true to yourself and accept all consequences. Respect for the gut it took to say no in a time most said yes. For having an unparalleled working ethos without becoming this tunnel vision pain in the ass for being a stand-up guy with a big mouth as well as being a humble character who am i to object to adding some extra climbing this was his ride not mine even though the mileages and elevation of this trip was going to be insane there was no time for getting soft thanks lao on behalf of many of us thanks for being out there in times the sport needed credibility in dark times you kept the light on you made us enjoy the sport in a whole different manner, showing us how to win without winning until the last day of your career. And from tomorrow morning onwards, pro life is done, dude. Another life begins. And let me make one thing clear. As of now, all pro rider privilege are withdrawn. So pour me some wine, fucker. Time for some proper reminiscing. It's time for your monthly dose of cycling gebubble. My name is Stephen Bolt, and sitting in front of me, former pro cyclist, Lauren Stendam. Boom. How nice, are you, man? Nice introduction. Thank you. I'm, I'm tired. Thank you, No, man. no. I'm, 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 actually, I'm well fed, because uh, <laughs> to have a little bit of a soft landing out of the pro career, I, uh, I insisted on, on, on riding down, uh, down southbound to, uh, to Ingamba tours, you it know, where the, where the bike is clean in the morning, and... Uh, where lunch is ready when you ask for it. So, uh, no, I'm well fed. I'm I'm tired from uh, last three days of uh, of big mileage, but uh, also I'm really happy. You know, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be with Joao, who's uh, I think you're going to introduce him uh, in a we while. Will. But, uh, but uh, a little, uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy. Today we did the Strade Bianchi. I saw the winery, the, the vineyards around, and phew, I, you're, I, you're, I, you're glowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Glowing. I'm glowing. You know, next next week we sleep again. You know, and today of this week we're just enjoying this, uh, retirement. This is what you wanted. Eh? This. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I know right now. I know there will be some kind of uh, farewell pa- farewell party, but uh, if it was up to me, you know, I was. This was my the thing I planned yeah, myself yeah, to say yeah. goodbye to the career. I drive uh, of I ride south. 
to watch uh, Joao and then we have a, like a end of career looking back podcast on my uh, yeah before we introduce him because somebody's uh, sitting in front of me who that's why we uh, talk English by the way yeah you know? yeah so let, exactly so we're gonna talk this was our, this is our first English podcast let's yeah. see how that uh, works out but please explain to provide a little bit of context what we did last days for those who didn't okay follow yeah you so on what Instagram. we did last uh, last days was uh, uh, yeah we, we we wrote we wrote uh, with our bikes from Como to Lekking Chianti on a really nice route like you in introduced uh, or like the intro it was 540 kilometers in two, two days good. and 6,600 meters of climbing <laughs> so basically it was an insane trip and we were uh, we were a little bit in a hurry you know to do all those hours uh, in in in, uh, in daylight but uh, we didn't succeed so I think we arrived, I don't know the time, we arrived yesterday night at 10 p.m. I think we were So, so let me paint the picture a little bit. You have to say we had to put it all in two days because uh, your son is, it's his, his birthday, birthday tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, so first I thought, okay, it's a nice idea to go with a bike, easy to watch, wow, to, uh, with you, with uh, with some, uh, and we, we take time. We have three, four days to do all those kilometers. And then I suddenly realized it's my youngest son's birthday tomorrow. And uh, and uh, I didn't want to be uh, so selfish <laughs> to say, okay, the first week of my new life, I'm going to miss your birthday because I'm cycling with my friends. You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't do that. But I still wanted to do the whole distance. So that's why we had to put it in two days. So after about 530 something kilometers... Yeah, you you we we were riding in the dark through the Tuscan hills. Yeah, and you told me, oh, Joao just sent me a live lo location. Live location. Live location. He'll, he'll probably be man. And up. and you know, I was like, okay, okay. I saw him in Castellina, Castellina and Chianti, which was uh, we still had thirty k to go. Yeah, and I was like, okay, the worst uh, of the worst the, case scenarios, we have we have to do the all thirty k. But Joao is going to watch us, so we meet at least halfway, or it's maximum 10k to go, and Joao will be there. And then suddenly his dot was, like, not moving anymore. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that motherfucker, you know. <laughs> and if Lauren says his morale gets boosted, dude, imagine what I was So like. then, then we ride those Chianti roads, like, in the middle of the dark, you know. Dennis is driving behind us with the big lights on, you know, so we could see something. And then suddenly around the corner, I see the capo standing, hands like this, you know, crossed in front of in his In the chest. headlights, he was standing. And yeah, that was a really good moment. <laughs> and I was... I was hoping to get in the car because it was with a big fan. We we didn't get into the car because we were at five guys together on the whole trip in, in one car. It's not possible. I'm happy to know that's why you didn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, hey, you're going to you're going to ride the whole distance, right? You're not getting in my car. No, no. he said, <laughs> fuck no, you're not getting in my car. <laughs> so what's your first How quick was I to accept? Chihuahua. Pretty quick. It was, you know. Okay, <laughs> let's go. So was there one thought on your mind? Letting us into the no, car when no, you drove up no, there. No, I, I just, you know, I was, uh, I was about to start dinner with guests, and I saw you. It was super dark, and you guys were still a solid at two hours away. And I just, I just, I was like, I can't eat. I got up. I said, Hey, I'm really sorry. I gotta go find this guy. Make sure he gets here okay. And you know, and, and try to figure out which direction you guys were coming with the WhatsApp that's sort of working, not working <laughs> in the middle of the Chianti Hills. And uh, when I saw you guys were taking the road across to Castellina, I knew the road and. 
You know, there's not many places to pull off there. So I said, I'm just going to wait here for them, thinking I'm going to surprise him in the dark, but forgot that he had my location. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> So, so there was there was this little bit of um, gray zone in which he thought, well, maybe he'll let us into the car, maybe he doesn't. For me, there was never any gray zone. It's pretty black and white. <laughs> uh, and, and immediately I said, I, did you read the book of Bram Tanking? Because yes. it's exactly the same story. So Bram Tanking, he's 13 years old. He rides his bike from the southern France together with his brother and another friend back to the house. And 30k to go. They are, they are like cold, they are sick, they are miserable, and they phone his dad. Daddy, can you come get us? And he's like, no, I won't, you know, you have to finish this trip. And I, so that's why I accepted within one second when he said, fuck, no, I'm, you're not going in my car. I said, okay, let's go. Stefan, we can, we can discuss, but he won't take us. I know him. When he says no, it's no. So Stop thinking, start riding. How far is it to go? 25k. I was uh, head down for 25 more k, and then at 10 p.m. we were. Uh, and then Lauren started pulling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then that's we had point. you behind us. Yeah. Every time I uh, lost his wheel, you were honking. <laughs> A little moral support never hurt anyone. Thanks. Thanks for that coaching. <laughs> so then we arrived at last. At yeah. 10 p.m. We were here, uh, cheering. You know, it was like you a, get real, a warm welcome. Yeah, yeah, A warm really nice. Ngamba welcome. You know, the Prosecco was open within uh, within uh, two minutes, uh, Eros Poli. Mr. Van Toe. Mr. Van Toe uh, opened the Prosecco and uh, all the miserable moments from uh, the hours before were forgotten within... Uh, there was within. one amazing moment. Yeah. It's, it's great having you in the podcast Thank as you. well. Thank Is you it for the having first me. podcast? Uh, normally I ask, do you sometimes listen to the podcast? But you obviously never <laughs> yeah, listen to the podcast. I don't understand what you people even, though, <laughs> even though your Dutch is pretty, uh, pretty, Dutch is pretty okay. Nicht schlecht. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the story how you guys met, because that's an awesome story. Okay, so my side of the story, because there are like uh, two sides. We, we, we noticed yesterday different perspective on the, the story. Well, well, let me let me intervene then. What's your side of the story? Because <laughs> I've, I've heard, I've listened to his. It's let's, it's colored let's, to let's, say the least. Let's listen to his, and then we'll, I'll give you mine. I might be more interested. Uh, the thing is, it was the tour of Swiss 2010. I, I just did altitude for a few weeks. I was feeling amazing. First stage. And a guy of Katusha, uh, last downhill, a guy of Katusha, I remember, pushed me out of the corner. I hit a wall and uh, in hindsight, I don't, uh, didn't know yet, but I, had really, I was really painful in the back and I broke a little, yeah, the, the outstakesels, the, yeah, the, the, the side of, yeah. of, of, of the spine, you know, not yeah. the spine itself, yeah. but the side. So I was laying there like in my ambulance, ah, ah, and then suddenly another rider, you know, comes out of that uh, corner, takes the apex, but didn't see the ambulance because it was a blind corner and he just crashed right next to me. So I was there. He was on like the basically flying into the ambulance, Yeah, I was right? there on the stretcher and then Joao <laughs> dives into the ambulance like, like, hey, my nice ambulance, to meet you. <laughs> my ambulance. So he dives in and I look to the side and he sees Joao, but was, uh, I didn't know it was Joao, but that's how just a Cervelo guy, you know, a tiny Cervelo guy. I didn't know him uh, back then, like, and then uh, Dion van Bommel, the doctor of the of my team, yeah. Rabobank back then, got out of the first car to stay with me, and the first car continued already to the finish. But apparently, those two guys knew each other. So he sees the, the, the Joao sees Dion van Bommel and starts to cry. <laughs> I'm in pain. That's Dion where is there like, hey, there's Joao. He starts to cry. I'm like, what the fuck? It's all about him right now, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> so, it's, it's kind of like so, how accurate is this guy? So, yeah, it was definitely Torres Suez. It was definitely 2010. I remember the first mountain. Uh, I don't know if it was Jean Paul Van Poppel or Marcel It was Shit raining. Weather. And, like, come on the radio and they said, okay, boys, uh, the climb starts now. And I remember looking down going, uh, we've been climbing for like last 15k. <laughs> Cavendish already got dropped with a couple of his guys. Like, yeah. what do you mean the climb starts now? You know, we go over the top, but about 4k from the top, I'm seeing, I'm like literally dying. Tor's next to me, and he goes, "You lose my wheel, I crush you." Tor and I results. just, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. remember thinking, I don't know if I should start crying or if I should start laughing. But anyways, over the top, down the bottom. Um, I have my first crash on the roundabout trying to come in back into the group, you know, just literally flip around and right into the crowd, you know, fall, get back up, back in the group. And this was the end of the stage and I had been dropped. It's one of the last climbs, whatever. And I had seen Tor's group up ahead and I was just trying to make into Tor's group. So at least I would come in with somebody. right? Yeah. And I am bawling this downhill. Got, uh, I think it was Von Popel behind me in the car. You know, I, I'm, I think I'm about to come into the group. I'm in the middle of this turn and all of a sudden I see this ambulance on the exit of the turn and the Rabobank car a little bit behind nowhere to go i lock up you know try to slow down i remember i hit the car slowly the Rabobank car but then they're taking the stretcher out and i had nowhere to go i locked the brakes i go sideways i literally hit the stretcher with my my right knee and i fall into the stretcher onto the ground and all i remember is i open my eyes and i see dion von bommel looking at me and i haven't seen dion von bommel since like 1994 1995 something like that and I just like was so nervous, I started crying, you know. And I remember Lawrence whining like the little bitch he is <laughs> when he when he's crashes, you know. He's like, wah, wah, wah. something's broken, of course, because like Lawrence, you know, falls any something always breaks, you know. It's literally glass, you know. He's the most brittle professional cyclist I know. And I just remember thinking, I gotta get the fuck away from this guy. And I look at him, Popo. I say, just give me my bike. And uh, he gets me the spare bike, and uh, I can't walk. But I get on the bike, I start pedaling slowly to get away from this guy, you know, and like, you know, I don't know, somehow make it to the finish. <laughs> that evening, we're both at the hospital together. I remember the guy from the ambulance uh, wanted to like charge me for scratching his ambulance. No you way. Know? And it's with Switzerland, it's very, very strict. Uh, and yeah, I, I remember the same, like, that 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 hospital. First thing I had to do was sh to show my credit cards. They blocked six thousand Swiss francs. Yeah. No way. Like like I was there. Ah. <laughs> Where's your credit card? So Joao, that's so. an amazing story. Welcome again to the podcast. I, I I just did some uh, research on you, so we can we right can now, you know I can int probably right introduce. It's <laughs> a short introduction. Joao da Silva Corriera. It's an amazing name, by the way. Date of birth: tenth February, nineteen seventy-five. That's correct. Portuguese, former junior national champion of Portugal, turned publishing executive in New York, gave cycling another go and made his way to the pro peloton in Cervelo Testi, 2016. 10. 2010. 2010. Yeah. And nowadays proprietor of bike touring company Ingamba, obviously, where we are uh, uh, right. experiencing the whole Ingamba treatment uh, at the moment. H how, who, how do those two connect to each Any other Corso, eh? yeah that's that's uh, uh, that's I'm, I'm that's the next element of the of the story but how does the you engamba really in tandem on this one you really prepared <laughs> yeah. to both of you yeah. 
<laughs> How does the Ngamba thing connect to your former uh, pro life? You know, so I raced from a young age and I turned pro when I was 19 and then eventually decided to stop racing at 21 and go to school and became a publishing executive in New York working in the magazine world. Uh, eventually I made it back into cycling and back into the pros uh, 10 years later after stopping. And when I stopped racing, when Cervelo stopped, and I also stopped, you know, I went to work for LinkedIn, the publishing, uh, the yeah. social media company. But my last year of racing, I, by August, I was completely cracked. I just, you know, I lived in Chianti, but I couldn't eat the food. I couldn't drink the wine. Every time you're out riding, you're training hard. You're, you know, looking at a power meter. And I had just sort of made this decision on a ride. Um, and I said, fuck, you know, I got to, like, I got to get to the end of the season, but at the end of the season, I'm going to stay here an extra week. I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant, eat whatever I want, go to my favorite vineyards, drink whatever I want, and ride my bike for fun. Like, I'm not going to look at a power meter. I'm just going to go do my favorite rides. And I just sent out a tweet. And I said, you know, it was like October 12th to the 16th, who wants to come? And these four guys came, two South Africans, two Canadians. And uh, I shared with them my favorite routes. Just we, one tweet, huh? Yeah, one tweet. Yeah. 2010. You know, I, I shared, I rode <laughs> with Amazing. them every day. I opened a B&B that I loved here in this little town where I lived and shared with them these amazing people that I had met while I was living here. Uh, and then moved to San Francisco and started working for LinkedIn. And people on Twitter said, hey, are you ever going to do that again? And I said, well, no, not really. Like, this was a one-time thing. You know, it wasn't, you know, they brought, each one of them brought $5,000. We spent the $20,000 that week on food and wine. You know, that was it. Like we just spent it, it must all. have been That's one hell it, of a week. It was one hell of a week. And we just <laughs> I spent know one of those four, you know? I've, you know? I've been with him, uh, yeah. Gary. With Gary, yeah, Canadian. number one. Yeah. We refer to Gary as number one. Uh, he was the very first person to sign up for a trip, and he's done a trip every single year since then. So this was 2010. Uh, now we're 2019, so he's been here ten, over 10 times, over 10 years. Um, so... You know, enough people said it where I said, sure, I'll do another trip next spring. Spring of 2011, I did another trip, chose eight guys, did the same exact thing, but then started layering in, you know, the kits and the soigneur and the mechanic and the bikes and said, okay, this is what it's like to be on a pro team. You know, we ride our bikes for fun, yeah. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have the pro tour support. And then the food and wine piece is really uh, big. And I always tell people, nobody loses weight on our trips. Like, if you lose weight, I'll give you your money back. You know, but like it's impossible to lose weight when you're at the table twice, twice a day. So it's, it's all about co combining the good Chianti life yeah. uh, uh, and the, the, the pro cyclist yeah. life. Oh. Right fast. So well, my, my, next, my next question. In, in, our case, <laughs> in our case is ride slow, live fast. You know, so good food, good wine, great camaraderie, good riding, but it's not about hammering. You know, we, we have fun. We're at the table by one o'clock in the afternoon having lunch. And for every hour on the bike, we're two hours at the table. You're also a pro rider agent. Yes. How do you combine those two? Um, you know, very, very carefully. I have uh, the agency that represents Lawrence with my partner, Ken Somer. We started it. We were both met at Cervella Test Team. We started in 2011, the agency, the same year I started in Gamba. And, uh, you know, we just basically started because we had seen a bunch of our friends getting taken advantage of and not having the best representation or being rep represented by people that 
had no business in representing anybody other than they happened to know the teams, they happened to know the athletes, but yeah. there was nothing in their background that said that they were qualified to even take care of a dog. You know, so we saw this as uh, and, and, and in terms of financial, in terms of financial knowledge. knowledge, in terms of negotiating knowledge, yeah. in terms of legal knowledge, yeah. you know, in terms of the ability to look at a situation and advise an athlete on what decisions should you be making in wow. this situation and helping them process what those decisions should be, which isn't necessarily what you would do. So it's very easy to yeah. find a good rider a team. That's super easy. The question is, can you find a good rider a team that is right for them at that point in their career and maximize that contract? Yeah. Looking at the long term of a career that might be 10 to 15 years, in some cases uh, up to 20 years. You know, So we saw, both Ken and I literally saw that we had friends that you know, we knew they weren't getting the best deals. So we started representing riders. Lawrence was one of the first ones. Lawrence, Ted King, and Sergio Paulinho, and uh -huh. Gerald Chiolek was sort of the foundation of the agency. We slowly started adding riders, and literally Lawrence is the last one to retire. This is it. Lawrence this year uh, retires. The agency today is, uh, I think, a relevant agency. We have some of the best young athletes in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have Mads Peterson, the recent world champion, Mikael Berg, the recent world champion, guys like Teo Gogenhart. You know, we've got some real talent. What do they all have in common? Is there a, like a... You know, Ken and I have, have a couple of rules that we really live by. And that is the athlete has to be talented, which everybody has. Agents want talented athletes. But then we also have this character rule, which is the athlete has to be somebody that we think we want to spend time with and we want to spend the next 10 to 15 years of their career with. So if I don't feel that I can get along with you yeah. and I don't feel that I can work with you, I don't really care how good you are. You're just not going to be a great fit in the agency. And once you start having different riders around, you start looking at athletes. How are those athletes going to fit into the agency and everybody that's at the agency. From very early on, we said to, especially the older guys, guys like Lawrence, we feel there is a sense of responsibility at this agency, we all have to each other, and that you all have to each other. So even though you're on different teams, if you're in a race and you see one of the young guys getting picked on, our expectation is that you stand up for that rider, and at the same time, if you see them doing something wrong, our expectation is that you call them out on it. So we take care of each other. We take care of each other. And I think that's been a really interesting... I think uh, uh, this is the agency with, with like, we have an app group. It's the most active yeah. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. almost every day there are messages and stuff like that. So, no. But can you, can, can you relate to what the oh, sure. saying? That you, uh, like, like you're now, nowadays riding... You as an amateur, obviously you're a former <laughs> pro cyclist. That's, uh, let's, no, let's but in the up. app group, I think Jampi Drucker a couple of weeks ago gave you some Take, shit okay. for not letting him in in some yeah? race. Yeah. You know, he's like, he put it on the group. He said, Lawrence fucked me today. He didn't let me in. Yeah. And he's not a very good draft, you know, but it's, it is like, yes, I like that. Well, know? when I saw the list of riders, uh, it's, it's, it strikes to me as though they have all the, a little bit, they are all strong characters. Yeah. They have also a little bit of adventure, maybe even rock and roll vibe yeah. going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all interesting guys. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all yeah. super, to me, they're all people I'd want to have dinner with, yeah. you know? And in the, in the agent-athlete uh, relationship, the most sacred thing is trust. If you do not feel that you can trust your athlete and, or your athlete doesn't feel like he can trust his agent, 
they shouldn't be in business together. And that for us is, is everything. Nobody breaks that, that bind, that trust, because if you do, then other people get in and you can't really take care of somebody that well, you know? Did I always say that we don't make our decisions for athletes. We, we go find the opportunities for them we give them a list of possibilities and we give them pluses and minuses of those choices. Then we say, what's your choice? They have to make their choice, wow. you know, because they have to live with those choices. And in working like that, you have to find strong characters. Yeah, you have to find people that, that those, those you're choices. able to. They need to be yeah. able to make a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fun. And then it's fun, you know. Maybe so we could so have had, maybe we could have, we've passed on some athletes in the past that would have made us a lot more money. But you know what? We're doing fine and we like the people we work with. And I, I like considering nobody ever really leaves the agency. I think they like what we're doing for them. Um, did you um, do you think your role changed over the last several years? Yeah. Well, the market. So how, how long have you been now? Then uh, we've been. We started in, in 2011. So you know yeah, the so agency started uh, small in 2011. So yeah. it's changed a lot. I mean, yeah. the whole market has changed a lot. So it's a whole different ball game today. You know, the, what you're, you know, first of all, you know, you've got this thing called the Remco effect. You know, yeah. which I call, I started the, the Remco effect, where kids are going from the juniors to the pros. Yeah. Yeah. That even two years ago, like, was completely unthinkable. No. And that now, like, for 2020, I'd be surprised if there isn't three to four juniors going to the pros. That's a huge change. That's a real fundamental change. Apart from the the managing side of things, the being the the agent side of things, what's your Because that, that's interesting. We've had those that discussion about where the hell do those guys come from? Come from? Yeah. What's your take on that? Why they're so good so early? Yeah, like Bocacar, like Bernal. I think we're in, first of all we're in a clean sport. So I think cycling is today a clean sport. Yeah. I think that the ability for talent to showcase itself is completely different than the years, the mid 90s, yeah. you know? So, so the I think barrier is higher? I think that is, that is one thing is that guys that are truly talented are able to showcase that talent. Yeah. I think the knowledge around training and, and especially food is such that it's become a real advantage for athletes that yeah. really do take care of themselves. So they're, they're smarter earlier. They're smarter earlier, yeah. you know? They're certainly more professional earlier, which I'm not sure is necessarily a, 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 a positive thing. But I think the biggest change is that we're, we're in a clean sport. You know, yeah. it's not what it used to be. Does it so also mean you, you take in riders earlier? On a, on we a start signing some riders as juniors. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason we start signing them as juniors is I feel and Ken feels that we really need to develop a relationship with them wow. so that by the time we're actually doing business, real business together, there is a bond and there is a trust. Wow. You know, and, and, and that trust takes years to develop. So we started working with Mads Peterson when he was 17. We started working with Michael Valgren when he was 19. Um, you know, we've had a couple of riders come to us when they were juniors. By the time we're actually negotiating a real contract for them, when they're under 23, when they're juniors, you're not really negotiating much for them. You're simply finding them opportunities. You're finding them maybe some teams for them to consider. You're, might, you're sending them to a pro team camp before maybe they would go to a protein camp. So you're kind of exposing them to different things, but what you're really doing is if there's an issue, you're helping them find the tools to solve it the right way. And you're building a relationship with them so that by the time they're ready to turn pro, which is the first real contract negotiation, and it's a fairly straightforward contract negotiation, you know, neo pros make what they make. Um, you're, you already have trust and there isn't any doubts. Make? 
Um, so Neo Pros make anywhere from minimum um, to the good ones. Which is? Minimum. 30K? Yeah, it's, well, depends if it's employed or not employed, but say 50K. So yeah. Neo Pros are starting at 50 to 60K, but the good ones, most of the ones we have are 80 to 120. We've had a few that are in the 200s, and Mikkel Berg, I think, broke all the records for, for what a Neo Pro makes, and, uh -huh. you know, that's, that's considerably... That's that's considerably more than a couple hundred thousand. So, so it depends. That that's also changing. Um, you know. On another note, Lawrence is talking, not really a lot about you, but he sometimes uh, is talking about you. Well, Lawrence's favorite subject is himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is going to have to be a shift now. From now on, you are you're, you're my you know, best friend. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> jokes aside, where does the managing financial legal part of uh, being an agent stop and the, the influence of a more technical knowledge of a trainer starts. Yeah. That's because, and, and the, the reason behind me asking those, that question is because he is taking care of himself as a pro, former pro, uh, by <laughs> setting up all these little, uh, what do we call them? The, this, this little biotopes. You know, he has its its place in the on the West Coast. He has its place here. He has its place in Limburg. Is that something you help? You helped him out with? For only, uh, yeah, basically both. You helped. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Lor so Lawrence is now the third athlete that is going into retirement. Where we started talking about retirement years ago, and Lawrence is a completely different case, you know, from a lot of guys. But with Jens Voigt, when Jens retired, he was the only athlete we didn't represent as a pro. We started representing him, and once he retired, we really answered the question: Is there relevance for a professional cyclist that is not somebody like a Lance Armstrong post his career? Can you build value for that athlete? Mm -hmm. And the answer with Jens was absolutely. There's actually more value with him retired than there was when he was a cyclist. Then Ted King, we did the same thing for where we created, you know, a life for him after retirement that was driven by what he wanted to do. And we were able to monetize that for him. Yeah. I think Lawrence, you know, started because of those experiences, we started talking about this a hell of a lot earlier. Yeah. You know, his the first adventure when you went to Santa Cruz was like four years ago now. Yeah. You know, like four, years, four years ago, he came and he said, I don't think I want to race in Europe anymore. You know, and I was like, okay, he goes, I want to go race in America my last year as a pro, and that's it. Like, I'm done. Like, I just want to go do tour of California. I want to do a couple of small races in the States. I want to live in Santa Cruz. I want to visit the U.S. And then I was like, do you understand this concept of host housing? American pro cycling is not exactly <laughs> European pro cycling. Like, it's a whole different world. So what's different then? What, what's different? What, what well, do you mean by host housing? Host housing is when teams as a don't have team, hotels. Teams don't have hotels. They're staying at people's houses. You know, seems and cool like, to me. You know, like, yeah, yeah it I seems can imagine. Well, it doesn't well, seem well, cool. Well, like down but it gets me, it gets but, uh, super old real rider. quick, you know. I mean, it's great. You meet amazing yeah. people, but but it can kind of get old. No, the thing was, I really wanted to move to the US before the kids were were yeah. having a uh, had to go to school. Had to go to school, yeah. Oh. Uh, so and, and, that's and then and then I said to Joao, I, I remember I phoned him. I said, stop all negotiations in Europe because I go to the US and I'm going to race for a domestic team. And I remember no Joao way. like, yeah. And I didn't know that. Yeah, and then Joao said to me, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was drastical. Not man. so fast. <laughs> yeah, it was. Not, it was what if, he said, what if I can make you live in the US and race for two months in Europe doing a Paranese Catalonia and a Tour de France yeah. and do engine tour and some uh, the Canadian races? And that's enough. I said, 
Okay, that's a dream scenario, but it won't. I need you won't. It. You won't be able to pull that one off. You cannot sell that to one team. But I forgot the guy got neo professional when he was 34 years old. Like the oldest he ever. Could, he could sell himself at age 34. You know, being a, being a publisher in New York, a little bit overweighted. To, uh, he could sell himself to Seville, to Seville test team. So yeah. I've, I forgot that he pulled already crazy things before. And he found a team. He found not. He found even the. the uh, no, he found teams. Uh, back then it was Giant Alpecin, like a team yeah. with all protocols and stuff like that. And he, they allowed me to live in the US and race in, in Europe. Job and, well done. Uh, yeah, that job don't like still my head off to get to pull that one off because yeah. normally. That's not possible. Like all the US guys, they have to live in Europe be- before they can yeah. race for a, for yeah. a European team. And I was the one who said, I want to live in the US and still race in Europe. But he pulled it off. and uh, that, like, It's funny because his version of the story is a little bit different than my version tell, of the story. Tell but, us. Okay. Most tell of the time. Us. So it was he, like, he has a will of his own, Joao. No, I think yeah. it was exactly that. He basically said, stop all negotiations. And this was around, I believe, the Tour de France. After, yeah. And um, I'm just going to go to the US. I want to go race for a US team. And um, like, that's it. Then I'm going to retire. I said, okay. And I, I, yeah, it was like, what? I'm sorry, what? What do you want to do? And this was like kind of at the height of his, of his popularity. And then I just started asking him questions. I said, okay, what is it that you want, really? Do you really want to go race in the U.S.? Or do you want to go live in the U.S.? Do you want to have a slower lifestyle? What is it that you want to do? And, and, you know, based on those questions... An answer is I said, man, like, you don't want to go race for a U.S. team. That's not what you want. What you want to do is you want to go live in the U.S. and you have you want to have flexibility. And you want to go race the Tour of California. So you have to be on a team that races the Tour of California, which some U.S. teams. But it isn't that you want no, to go race for a no. U.S. team. You know, it's you want to go try this different thing, yeah. this different lifestyle. Different conditions. And, and I, I wanted thought, to do Leadville. Yeah, you want to do Leadville. You want to do some of Rinduro. the Rinduro. You want to do this stuff. You want to go live in Santa Cruz. So then it's just a question of being able to look at the problem in a different way. In that, you know, we did talk to some U.S. teams, some of the bigger ones. Uh, but it wasn't like a natural fit. And then I started making some calls in Europe. You know, we talked to Vauders at what now is EF, you know, and they were, you could see that people were starting to play with this concept of alternative yeah. calendar, but it was still super foreign. You know, we obviously talked to, at the time he was on Belcom, we talked to Richard, you know, and we talked to Iwan, you know, and Lawrence mentioned, you know, talk about a team that's super protocol. And it was funny because, you know, they didn't say hell no. You know, they kind of said, huh, that's interesting, you know, and then they started talking about, well, that provides certain challenges, but it also provides certain opportunities. Because the one thing that I think Lawrence does really, really well is he'll show up at a Grand Tour ready and does his job every single time. It doesn't matter how the rest of the season has gone. You put him in the Tour de France, you put him in the Jura, you put him in the Vuelta, he does not fail at that job. And they knew that. And they saw an opportunity, just like I sort of saw an opportunity. And we he went to the US, he lived in Santa Cruz. He did, I believe that first year, four races in Europe, so it's pretty simple. Did Tour of California, did a bunch of other stuff in the States. And then at the end of the year, I think this is the thing that kind of blew me away, is something switched in his head. And all of a sudden he said, you know what? I don't want to retire. I think I want to keep going. And, you know, okay, we readjusted. We negotiated with the team again, a different deal where he was really racing full time, but still had the flexibility to leave at the end of the tour, you know. 
But what happened to him is he became another rider. You look at just accidents alone, he stopped crashing. All of a sudden, Lawrence was doing fine in the races. He wasn't crashing. He was more relaxed. He saw there was, he could do what he needed to do and became a better athlete. And, and you know, you did three seasons after that, right? Four mm -hmm. seasons, which is kind of insane. So, how, you know? I, I was always so basically, wondering. I was going to retire at the end of 2016. <clears throat> yeah, 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 I know. And Finally, at the end of 2019, yeah, yeah. I'm because you 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 uh, got the thing in your head. You could also live your life under different conditions. Yeah, than because you did before than I was to. starting to live the to live the life of how I thought a pro cyclist yeah, exactly. had to live. Yeah, and that the changed. life. And that was in 13 and 14. I was really good doing it, but then in 15, I I, I did even a step more and yeah. way less results and no fun at all anymore. And by going to the US, I rediscovered doing Leadville, you know, uh, doing the grasshoppers, yeah. uh, doing the, the Tuesday night by the, by, uh, barbecues with Scotty D, doing, have fun on the bike. And that's that's why we're here now, basically. And I think that's the thing is like, when you look at a problem and you uh -huh. say, this is the problem, this is what I want. I think you need to figure out what do you really want? Because I think often we see things very one dimensional. And I think if people are a little more open-minded yeah. and they're looking at problems differently, yeah. generally, yeah. what you think is the problem really isn't the problem. You know, and that's what happened is that we shifted the paradigm. He already had a solution for a problem, yeah. but the, 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 the problem was something else. And we just assumed yeah. teams would be like, no way, yeah. because nobody had ever done it. But in the end, the teams actually were pretty supportive. Both Richard and, uh, and Iwan both actually liked the idea and saw opportunity in the idea because I think they saw where cycling was going, where, you know, we need to start rethinking now. And fast forward 2019 and to this year, EF had what they call the alternative calendar. Yeah. Yeah. where they're sending riders to so different things. That's one question I've been having on my mind uh, for a, a long time. How was it, how close were you with other teams? So not the, 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 the Jumbo or like, what was it called then? Uh, Giant Alpecin and, and yeah. the Jumbo team. Yeah. How, how was, uh, for instance, Jonathan Fathers? Because I always think Lau is a Jonathan Fathers rock and roll alternative racing yeah. program. That, that, that has some fit to it. I never forget this answer. You remember yeah. his answer? I remember his answer. You remember his answer? Well, well. He said, I basically think he already checked out. Yeah. That's what he Jonathan thought. Jonathan Fathers said. He thought I already checked out professional cycling. Ah, because geez. he saw I was 2015, I was grumpy and I was fed up with cycling. Yeah. That's why I wanted to change. And uh, I think he was wrong. At the I, end, I, think I, people, I think people thought this was like, he just wanted one more year of having fun, you know? And I think that... Um, like that was the I'm, hardest I'm thing to sell. I'm not going to pay your holiday. You said the same. Yeah, I think, no I think the hardest thing to sell to all of those guys was, look, he's still super serious. He's still a professional. And this isn't just like a walk in the park for him. He's still going to show up ready to do what he says he's going to do. Um, and I think people, there was two things. They were worried about his age and they were worried about him checking out. And the moment you provided a solution for the problem the team had, yeah. which we did, yeah. that's where everything changed. Yeah. You know, yeah. is that the moment we we understood what it does the team actually need out of this, and you're able to convince them that not only you're giving them a solution to that problem, but you're giving them an opportunity for another rider. You know, because obviously, yeah. you know, Lawrence was making a lot of money then, took a pay cut, 
And if all he, of a sudden, everything goes okay. out. So he gets what he wants, uh, and the team gets what he wants, uh, you know, and everybody wins in that situation. And, and to me, the you look at it, the last three seasons he's done, not only has he been successful on the bike, he's been he's been safe on the bike, you know. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think that's because you open yourself up a little bit, and he, was, he became a different person after that. And the age was never an issue I think, for him. I think also, yeah, like, like you say, Joao was always like, you know, he's five years older than me, but I, I look up to him. And also he saw things, you know, from the outside. I didn't see myself back in the years, uh, the years 12, 13, 14. Because you remember the tour of Bao and Lao in 13. Yeah. And suddenly I was there on the... On Higher the, stage. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I met Joao several times in the team hotels. Yeah. And every single time he said to me, stay humble. Step, don't be a dick. Stay humble. And why did you say that to I him? I took notice. Because it's the, the, those are the the moments in your life where you really show your character. Those are the moments when everybody's telling you how great you are. That you absolutely have to remember that you are the, absolutely the same person you were the week before, the month yeah. before, the year before. That the situation might have changed, but who you are is the same. And if you don't keep that, you lose it really quickly. And that was crazy. I mean, like, I remember that was really crazy. At the top of Vantu yeah, with like, your dad, you know, yeah. like, you know, he made that cut in the front group. That was a huge step, you yeah. know, and what it did for Dutch cycling, what it did both Lawrence and Bauke, what they were able to do for Dutch cycling, you know, was transformational. Yeah. But the, the thing is, the year after when I got ninth in the tour, he never said it to me anymore. Why not? That, that thing. I asked him after later, yeah. like, like like I was thinking, you know, like, like just a month after the Tour de France or something. Like last year, you always told me to stay humble, and now he never said it to me. Like why? Why? What, was was I a dick last year or more yeah. of a dick? And he said yes. <laughs> you were the, like thirteen. He said, well, let, he can be a dick, right? No, no, well, he's a, a little professional athlete. Professional you, see, athlete. <laughs> like, you, you learn during the years, like like in 14, he didn't have to say it anymore to me because I had it more naturally. But in 13, he said, stay humble, don't be a dick, blah, blah, blah. Be before we we start reminiscing, actually, we already started, but le let's look back at, as, at his career. How do you look at his f future? I think he's got a great future. I think he is coming into a time where people are looking for adventure they're looking for different things they're looking at cycling differently they're no longer just looking at road racing everything is about their own journey and their adventure and uh, that's always been very natural to him i mean lawrence was always the guy that stood out like you know i remember a team once saying to me he's not the perfect dutch son-in-law and i'm literally like what the fuck does that mean you know like you know and then like they had to explain to me the cultural thing but like lawrence is the guy that goes camping and takes his family and wants to see his his wife and he wants to see his kids and I think that's a great example you know and he was always sort of beating to his own drum well it turns out that the world now wants to beat to its own drum because it's tired of you know everything that's around and wants real authenticity and if it's one thing I think nobody can ever accuse Lawrence of not being is authentic he's always been authentic it's been authentic uh -huh. since day one you know and and uh, I think it's a great time for him to stop and continue to start doing what he's been doing with the with with the different events with the different appearances with the with the different types of things he's been doing and i think that's that really connects with people you know that's why you know the gravel event had as many people the first year as it had is because people want that in their lives yeah. you know wow nicely put 
Um, okay, guys, a uh, little bit of a switch, but let's have a little have a pause. drink. Thanks, Wow. It's now time for some Mr. Shortcut uh, questions. Actually, only one questions. Uh, again, uh, we're uh, continuing the Mr. Shortcut questions together with Futurum Shop, which we uh, proudly present as our sponsor. Uh, I only have one si single question. What would have happened if we took this two-day trip and you up front would know it would pour like hell. We would Only take rain. the train. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, no, we, we would have never taken the train. Oh, that's a big, too big of a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I don't think you would allow us to take the train. Um, Yesterday I was on the edge of getting in the car. Basically. Can, 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 you, can you, can you, clo uh, uh, what's proper clothing for, uh, for days like that? Yeah, for days like, like Yorkshire, really really shit for instance but, for, but for yorkshire yeah, yeah, but then one. then i would wear just also rain pants you know on the in uh, actually as, as 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 bike races we don't use it but rain pants that makes a whole different story because yeah. then also the bottom half of your body is getting uh, is staying dry you know yeah. like if you have really good uh, uh, rain coats no problem but when you have when you, when you go wet from the bottom and it, after an hour, it's always almost at your nipple height, you know, like yeah. it, it comes like, yeah. like, 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 it tissue. goes up. Yeah. Like paper, you yeah. know, it, it goes up and uh, also underneath your, underneath your raincoat. So, so I would wear, uh, I would wear uh, rain, rain pants, but what I really like nowadays, you know, because now we were bikepacking, you know, bike holidays, I would like to have, uh, I would like to have those pants, those bike pants with pockets on the sides. You know, it, it's uh, you, 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 you give in a little bit on aero, but yeah. uh, you know, like I, like I just told you about the revolt. You know, like uh, aero, aero, aero is not everything. Comfort is nice, and if you wear a lot of a lot of jackets, uh, it's difficult to get your hands into your pockets if you and have get some your pockets gel. on the side yeah. of your pants because yeah. they exist. They you have a gel on a bar inside, and you always have some food on hand. The second thing I really would like to have is uh, a flannel, like a, fl a flannel. Yeah. A flannel, uh, yeah, uh, like... In Dutch it's called flopper fl shirt. Flannelletje, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 but something that you can wear on the bike when it's really chilly, you know, but yeah. because on the bike normally you just have short sleeve jersey, uh, you have uh, arm warmers and maybe a vest. But when it's really chilly, you could wear that over it. But also you don't look ridiculous wearing that in a restaurant at night or having breakfast at a breakfast place, you know? It so actually you, looks so pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you need some multifunctional clothing yeah. because you don't want to carry a, a, a jersey and a, and a wind vest and this and this and this. So you, it needs to be uh, functional. Need functional, but also you need to be able to 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 park the bike in the middle of uh, city center of Amsterdam, go to a nice restaurant and still and, and wear your flannel and and still don't look like uh, like uh, the guy in uh, what's it called spandex, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so that's what I also would like. I would like rain pants, a flannel, and uh, and one of those bikepacking. Uh, nice, nice. Actually, I think uh, Mathieu van der Poel should have had one like that because then he would. Actually, yeah. Then he would not, then he would have been uh, world, world champion. champion. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Boom. There's a shortcut, shortcut. son. <laughs> okay. So only for podcast listeners. No matter which country you listen to this, futurum.cc. That is f-u-t-u-r-u-m.cc provides you with a 20% discount on all Futurum products. Go to futurum.cc/slash 
Live slow, ride fast. Free shipment all over the world. Go check it out. On with the show. Lau, how, by the way, was the Giant Revolt treating you? Oh, man. So we did a, we had a great route uh, on the some gravel parts, you know, and uh, we were laughing with each other because uh, I agreed up and uh, during the gravel raid, like, okay, I don't need a, I don't need a, a race bike to do this after my career. I, I just go on my revolt, but I want some 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 more uh, road-like tires. So we put 40s on, but a li- less profile than with my gravel tires or with my or uh, pretty much slicks, right? Yeah. yeah, pretty much slicks on the yeah, like on the r- where the rubber touches the ground, and uh, it turned out to be a great choice because I could pump them till uh, till five bars, and then uh, but still was not uh, yeah really comfortable on the wide roads here in Strade Bianchi, you know. Uh, we just did, and actually it was not so much slower because we tested in a downhill. I was not. So I was pretty surprised. We and called you Mr. Chesterfield and you were yeah, busting Mr. our balls all the time because yeah. you were so comfortable. Yeah, so I think uh, this will be my weapon of choice for the next uh, bike holidays, bike packing. I won't do. I think I will do it on the Revolt because now I have also that new GRX group. Yeah, it shifts really nice. Uh, the gearing is a little bit yeah. uh, s- smaller. Like I have, I have more ra- uh, range of mo- range of gearing, you yeah. know, with uh, with this and. Uh, yeah, with 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 those kind not skinny tires because they're still forty, but more less profile. I felt comfortable, confident, and uh, like like yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some was there with his aero bike next to me, no problem, you know. Yeah. And uh, but also, I when we hit some stairs or we hit uh, some gravel along the coast, he started to to swear immediately while I was still. At laughing. some point, you said, "I don't know, I don't understand why all those tourists ride these fast bikes. Why? Yeah, you need the comfort. It's because, because you're always on the Ferrari, Ferrari-like bike for, yeah. for, for for the whole day. If you if you ride a Ferrari for the whole day for thousand kilometers, you always also come out with a broken back and everything. I really don't understand why you would be why you would like to be." For, for 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 two days in a row on a on a such an aggressive bike as a road bike is nowadays with carbon with stiffness compared to the comfort with some wider tires of 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 a, of a gravel bike you know if you back in the old days we're here in the in gamba uh, surface course you see all the old steel frames where they do chianti or uh, the the eroica with yeah. That's a that's a different story. Gravelly, the frame yeah. is uh, way more comfortable. If you look to the front fork, they go a little bit more to the front. The bike is a little bit longer. Uh, it's li- less stiff because uh, because steel is softer than carbon, and those uh, bikes are way more comfortable. It's also nice a bike packing bike. But if you go with a <laughs> with a with a with a, with a Ferrari, you also don't go to the sound of France on holiday, yeah. you know. So yeah, this uh, this was an eye opener for me. Okay, we've discussed Joao. Are you ready to discuss uh, Mr. LTD himself, Joao? Finally, you're going Let's to talk it. about me. My God, <laughs> how good my memory is for all this stuff. Well, we have some questions in here that might interest your own uh, factual uh, knowledge here and yes. there. Let's my dive God. into it. Let, let's dive into it with a, with, a, with a big question, Lawrence. Oh, the big one. What was the moment you realized I am going to be a pro cyclist? We never discussed. Oh that. no, that that's basically. Uh, Can you still remember that's, that? That, that? That was that was like without an agent, you know. Like uh, that was uh, a, a cycling career is also uh, uh, toeval. Yeah, coincidence. Coincidence. Yeah. 
a lot of so I was racing as a first year amateur for Bangiel Loterij Batavus Big Star, which also had a pro team. But the first year they they also had an amateur team next to it. Of course, that was way too big for a small team to have both an amateur team and a pro team. So that that's the amateur team when I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I went to Rabobank, the development team of Rabobank. Uh, first two years were really good. Last two years sucked. I didn't know back then why, because the, I had the operation on my the vein artery, yeah. four years later. Yeah. So the, yeah, the iliac artery operation. Uh, so after... Uh, After after those, I was looking at uh, yeah. somebody's <laughs> yeah. in the room. Some sitting also in the a room a few weeks ago or few months had ago. The exact same operation. We yeah. discussed it a lot. Three Go months on. ago. Sorry. So uh, after those two years that sucked, uh, Nico van Hoeven Rabang phones me. He says, "Lawrence, I'm sorry. You're 23 years old already. Or, yeah, 22. You're too old for this team. I cannot keep you in a team. You're not getting a potram contract uh, with Rabobank. So, yeah, I'm sorry, but." Our, uh, yeah, <laughs> always this. Uh, eh? Yeah, uh, we are we're parting ways. Yeah, we're parting ways. Um, I phone back Aaron Schepping, the guy who owned that uh, amateur team and pro team from Batavus, Mangirlo, Trai, yeah. Big Star. I, says, I said, Aaron, I'm in between a rock and a hard place. I'm fucked. I'm, and within two minutes, he said, I give you a contract. Because half of his team left, like one day before they said, we go to you start a new team. for your own contract then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who else to do it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, half of his team left by coincidence also the week before because they started a new Chocolade Shack team. The yeah. team director, Jon Kapiotlap, or the director sportief. Yeah. And uh, I think eight riders. So they took six Neo pros. And he was like, I still remember you as the little kid from five years ago. I take you on my team now and... So you remember you got the phone call from uh, Nico Verhoeven. I knew I was. I was what not. What happened to you then? Your world must have uh, collided, right? No, 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 no. I, I'm a uh, no, la, no. Last two years I sucked, or not? not yeah, I was okay. not at the same level. Like, like, like it was, for me, it was not, not a surprise. I remember for my father, it was more like uh, he was a little bit pissed at the team. I was like, uh, hey, it's 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 uh, sport, you know, it's top class. You you cannot give him a guy because he was already a, somebody a contract because he has nice blue eyes and is a nice guy, you know. It's it's about uh, results. So and your, I fa- didn't, your father was uh, he was a little bit angry with uh, yeah yeah, and I was His more son like got fucked over. Yeah. Yeah, 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 basically yes. Yeah. And I was more like, okay, fair enough, fair you know, enough. like, uh, but I, I, I still try to, I think, yeah, uh, let's have a long shot at Aaron Schepping. His son, Ronald Schepping, yeah. he sent me a message three days ago, like my father, you know, he took in the team, but afterwards he became a fan, you know, when I, yeah. he was, he took pride on that. I was, I was, I think, the, one of the only guys from that team who turned. Yeah, for for sure, top ten in the Tour de France. Yeah. You know, like he took pride on that, and he said I was a fan. Uh, of my father used to be a fan. You know, when you were start to race for Rawang again and doing good in the Tour, and that team collapsed already. Uh, uh, basically, the team that team later became Team Sunweb. You know, like okay. Aaron Schepping got yeah, replaced yeah, by Iwan yeah, Spekerbring. Yeah. So I wrote a former, but that was really a small team back in the day. But you were talking about coincidence. It the second coincidence, yeah. for example. First year pro, I noticed the vein in October after operation without knowing if I was a pro the second year because the team was going to fold. 
And I was already talking to a new uh, to a MGI, a Dutch amateur team. You also uh, know. I was already talking to Arthur van Dongen, like, if I don't get a pro contract, I will race for you next year. Then Arend Schepping, three weeks after my operation, he finds a new sponsor, Shimano Memory Corp, the mm. first week of November. If he didn't find to go back from the amateurs to the pros, it's really difficult. So now it's only when, when you look at pro cycling stats, it's only just the team on the list, you know. But you, this is this. When is, this guy doesn't so crash in, into my it. ambulance, yeah. I'm not going to live in yeah. the U.S. six years later. It's all coincidence. Where were like, you in this uh, in 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 this story? He was let, publishing. Let, let me <laughs> ask you a question. When did you first get Lawrence on your radar? You still remember that? Uh, when I had to look up who was that crying guy. <laughs> you didn't know him before? No, of course I did. I mean, okay. you know, Lawrence was a well-known writer. And, you know, after that... What do you actually, think of him when you didn't we, know him? We, you know, I mean, he always was sort of that, that cool, sort of weird dude. You know, he's not a, exactly a pretty guy. You know, But we actually, our friendship actually... Started became really a few weeks friends. later. Was a few weeks later when we both found ourselves at an altitude training camp, uh, Lavinia or Switzerland or wherever uh, that was. Benina Pass. You know, I was he, there together with Stefan Kruiswijk. Yeah, he was there with Kruiswijk, and uh, we spent a couple of weeks together there laughing about the crash. And he was coming. So Joao was there with the whole team. Yeah. yeah. To picture the, uh, yeah. To get a picture, I drove there together with Stefan Kruiswijk yeah. because we were both not doing the Tour de France because of that crash, and he was. A young professional. Yeah, now you. And we were preparing now, you know. for the for the Vuelta. <laughs> Not exactly young, right? No, no, but I used to like call him Little Crossfike. You know, yeah. I don't know why I used to call him Little Crossfike, <laughs> but like then he became like a really good rider, and obviously, you know, you know the results. But it's like, gosh, I remember him. He was there with Lawrence. I used to call him Little Crossfike. Yeah, he was. Which small, I think used to annoy. I think him back then he was like 22 years yeah. old. So, so what was the moment you noticed? Oh, fuck, maybe I can be a Grand Tour rider, competitor. Because after that's after a my that's a different ball game, right? After my first Tour de France, I I was twenty second in my first Tour de France, yeah. and then uh, I decided to. It was first time, yeah, first time I did a Grand Tour, and then I decided to focus on Grand Tours, and then in two thousand nine, I I did my first altitude uh, preparation for the Giro, yeah. the Giro Menchov one, but not many people know it. But when Menchov took the pink jersey in the time trial. Parkour Cinque Terre, which we wrote yesterday. yesterday, two weeks ago. I was 14th in GC still. Yeah, yeah. So and then yeah, he had the pink jersey and I was his wingman back then. So then I lost a lot of spots, but uh, I noticed that altitude worked for me and stuff like that. So then I focused more on that. And then I had a shit year in 2010 when I met Wow and I broke the back and I decided no, I want to have fun again. So I always yeah. I have to have. So 2010 had the shit year, 15 had the shit to shift a little bit focus. And 11 was a great year just by having fun, going from one week race to one week race, have a nice tour de France. And then in 12, it came more naturally instead of having too much focus like in 2010 or in 2015. Like So so as well, yes. So the the, the, the tour, we the, the route from Como to here was a little bit redirected, so put it like that. Because I really wanted to, wanted go. to go back to Cinque Terre. Yeah. He was Ten talking years later. and talking. Yeah. So that's why this you guys were. Mental. This is why you guys are late for dinner. I yeah. Now I understand. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. It's the most. It's like Big Sur. It's like the Big Sur coastal road of, of Europe. He was having a great really, time. He that was, was really nice. He was only telling. Oh, and I still remember this and this and this and the. Till we hit the stairs. Till commotes <laughs> rerouted us on a. One kilometer stairs, we had to hike the bike, me and Sam, on the stairs. 
<laughs> Some got a little bit cranky yeah. by then. Okay, so you focused on the on the grand tours. What what exactly is that? Focusing on the grand tours. Is it, it more means, miles? Is it yeah, more, what, yeah, different more, more base training, different food. May, yeah, a little bit more uh, high fat, low carb. You know, in the preparation base, and also more altitude. And uh, yeah, that's it. I think. Yeah. Is it something you were made for? You think so? Because you told me. T- tell me that story, by the way. Which we story? were riding the se- the first day. We were riding in the dark to Cestri Levante, and you said you, that was a beautiful oh, yeah. story. Tell it. You said it. Um, Reminds this me. This makes me think of back in the days. Yeah. So the thing was uh, the the year the first year I rode for Aanschepping. So when I was still 18 years old, I turned amateur in the winter from uh, 98 to 99. And back then at the club, I had a trainer, Alex Decker, and he told me, okay, next year you're amateur, you have to ride your bike five hours a day for once a week. And normally those endurance days are Wednesdays. And I was like, yeah, I didn't uh, protest. I said, okay, Wednesday, I have school till 3, 3.30, I was home. So 4.30, I would be on the bike during the winter. But then it was also with the winter time, 4.30 on the bike, 5.30, it was dark. So in between 5.30 and 9.30, I would ride in the dark totally by myself alone in North Holland, four hours. And I was... Yeah, as a pro, you never train in the dark anymore. So now the first day on this trip, I was finally riding in the dark on the road again. And then I said, it reminds me on those days where I had only, it was, it's 20 years ago. You only, I only had a headlamp, which worked for two hours, but I was for four hours in the dark. So really when, when I said no, I saw no uh, cars coming towards me and I was lighting off on the road, I would pop, switch off my head, headlight to save the battery for the last hour and stuff like that. So it was also like a little bit survival mode. And this trip was also, Schwauza was coming yesterday. It was like a big survival. And now we were, actually I was pulled. We had a follow car, we had yeah. food behind us. Joao was waiting for me. Back then, I was totally alone. One one day, I uh, I got lost in the dark. I wanted to do. I rerouted my route a little bit. I got lost in the dark. No phone, no navigation, nothing. My head tune, my 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 lamp was empty. I got home one hour late, so 10:30 at night, and I thought, oh, my mom is. She must be terrified, you know. She must be so. And then she was like. I, I entered the house and I was almost, I was emotional. I'm not so like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, but she said, oh, you're there. I didn't miss you yet. You know, <laughs> there's the food ma- there's waiting the for mom. you. In the Thanks, mom. <laughs> on the microwave. Are they all like this, Joao? No. What's your take on that? I mean, He's no. a bit strange, right? No, he's, he's, I wouldn't say strange. I would say different, you know. We're, <laughs> we live in politically correct times. No, I, I mean, look, you know, obviously every athlete is different. You've got things you love about guys and you have things that you like to change about guys. But, you know, Lawrence is one of those people that is a very interesting guy. You know, he was a pleasure for me to work with. He was somebody who was, had his own opinion, but you knew he would always listen to reason. And then he'd make up his mind and that was it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we work for the athletes, not the other way around. But like Ted. Yeah, you know, but you're really more than, you guys. are more than a manager. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, uh, more like a not mother. Not just sometimes. a guy who arranged a call. It's like a friend, you know. Yeah. And I, I, since 2010, he invited me here in September. After I crashed out of that Vuelta, yeah. I was yeah. pre- preparing together with Kruiswijk. Yeah. 
and a little cry, yeah, a little cry, and I still remember his email. Yeah. He said, "Most important is you're happy. Come to Lecky, to me. Uh, we have this food. Uh, you can sleep in my place. We drink nice wine." And he took the lift slow, the lift slow side in me. He, I was like, "Oh!" I said to Tessa because she didn't know Schwau back then. I said, "What's the worst? What can happen? We have a shit weekend with some kind." Dickhead, Portuguese guy, we don't know. But it turned out to be one of the best weekends, you know. We had to, till then uh, together, you know, come here, walk to Chianti Vineyards. I remember at lunch we drank already two bottles of wine together with him. He still had to race. That's where I noticed he was not determined to get a not a great end of season for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. And since then, every year I was here for at least a few days to see Paolo, wow. to, 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 to be here in, uh, in the surf schools of Ingamba, to, to have my bike clean in the morning, to have my <laughs> wash uh, done, my laundry is done, and, and, and also to talk with Schwao about life or uh, choices or what we do, you know. So I'm really happy to, that he crested to my ambulance. This, this seems like the place to end your uh, to wrap yeah. That's what that th- so that was like I said. I didn't want a big four hundred people <laughs> party. I just wanted to go here with some friends and talk to Joao with uh, like like it's done. You know, basta. We had a nice jury. Pop quiz, guys. <laughs> Hands on the button here, Joao. Oh, you too. Ooh. Let's see what you got. With whom did Lawrence race most races? So not most racing days, but most races. In the pro like peloton? In the pro peloton, yeah. Well, in the team or out the team? Uh, both. C- can be both. I know them. I saw the Jesus stats. Christ. So. <laughs> you saw the stats. I have no uh, idea. You need to come up with some names that, co- that, 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 that you think of. Most teammates. That's good for... That's for, an easy one. For... That's an uh, easy one? It could one? be an easy one. How the hell is that an easy one? I had dinner one? with him lately. Bauka. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> 60 races. 261 racing days. We did oh together as a teammate. That's a long. That, that's wow. a lot, eh? Two hundred. That's that's. Yeah, and also the days before or the days like the rest days. So at least we were. You're, 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 we were at least we were maybe one uh, training camps. You guys connect, eh? Yeah, yeah. We were together at least uh, maybe one and a half years of yeah, our lives I together. I also noticed you have you're, you're totally different guys. Yeah, those yeah. two. Yeah. But yeah. they respect each other and they have. They, you didn't tell. You didn't tell. Him, you didn't <laughs> tell them about the t-shirt, did you? Oof. No. Yeah. What t-shirt? <laughs> yeah never mind. No, we don't about, talk about the t-shirts. No, no, well, well, we have to. We have, uh, oh, maybe that's another <laughs> podcast. You're, you're, you're not here. Uh, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know everything, you're do you? To run a business no, yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I know. I we know don't talk about the t-shirt. Show, you do know the story, I, okay? Then. You can talk. I, yeah, I know talk, exactly the t-shirt. Story. Story was when you know when when they both became obviously the stars. You know, like there was always a little bit. Of a rivalry, even though their teammates and their friends, and yeah, I came to the yeah. tour and I had a T-shirt that said "Fuck Balka," <laughs> and I gave it to I gave it to Lawrence because he never kept, wore it. He kept, the table. never wore it, but he kept saying, "No, I have to do this," and I just said "Fuck Balka," <laughs> and like, gosh, if Richard ever found out I had that T-shirt, <laughs> but it was like I made a T-shirt and we Ken and I gave it to him. We're like, actually, oh yeah, make... it said "Fuck Balka." Yeah. yeah. I didn't wear it to the dinner. Yeah, he didn't wear it. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. That's, that's a really good story. You still have it, by the way. No, no, no. It was when I moved to the maybe, US, maybe I this is the time to, to, to tell you have it. Uh, I don't have so many. Uh, in the man cave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have so much leftovers from the career. No, a lot you, of memories. You give all your shirts away. Yeah. Okay. Um, with which six team members you can 
uh, come up with the names yourself. Did you team up for eight seasons? There are six guys. Oh. You were in the same team with for eight seasons. It must have been all Rabobank. There are some big names in it. I'm sure. Morenhout, Coach Morenhout. No, 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 no. no. He retired no. No, 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 no. It's later. No, it's Tanking. Yeah, that's one. For sure, it's uh, it's Geesink. Yeah, two. For sure, it's Rick Flens. Yes. It's Jos. Who were doing? Who was doing the the beers yeah, in the so he was, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he he came with his gangmaker. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a bartender, but with a special uh, yeah. cycling bar. Yeah. He, he owns a cycling bar, so he comes there with right. the bar behind his car. And it was really cool. So we have three. Adds up to the story. Uh, so Tank Gees. Uh, uh, Flens, yeah. uh, Jos van Emden, I think. Yes. That's four. We did a little Jos van Emden impersonation in Milan. Tom Laser. Tom Laser, yes. That's five. Uh, Kruiswijk was later, I think. Little Kruiswijk. Bauke. No, no Bauke left. More only one Only one left. Okay. Uh, Paul Mattes. Oh, Paul yeah, Martin. he was also yeah. early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I win? What did I win? <laughs> yeah, you won nothing. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, you didn't really contribute <laughs> to the <laughs> With hey. all the respect. Well, I'm just an agent. I rarely contribute <laughs> anything. <laughs> which, I just which, take a percentage. Which one of those those names, because they all, you, you, you know, you, you've been around with them, stands out? Dunking. For you. From Dunking, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a yeah, he's a, he's, he's, he's a friend, a you know. One. Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, we connect really good together, and uh, yeah. Did I, he I influence your career? Uh, yes, yes, but also my life, you know. Like uh, we talked a lot about being a dad while being a pro cyclist and stuff like that. I think that's. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he. Uh, yeah, we trained a lot together and stuff like that. So uh, no, yeah, for sure, he had a big influence on me. Okay, last question. Then we then we move on. In which of the following three races you raced most kilometers? In the Giro, in the Vuelta, or in the Tour de Catalunya? Uh, Tour de Catalunya, I think I did ten times or something. Eleven. Okay, eleven Tour of Catalunya. There's only one race you participated more in. That's the Dutch mm, Nationals. Yeah. You spent more than two and a half. How many race kilometers in total? I didn't uh, research that. I saw 195,000 yeah. race kilometers. Wow. Yeah, and that's and yeah, apart from all the training kilometers. Yeah, yeah just racing, just racing what they counted. So that's, uh, that's I don't know how much uh, the world around is 35. How does, how does this guy in relation to to other guys you have in in the, in the agency or in general as a, as a former pro cyclist? How does he um what would you say about his working ethos? Because he, he obviously is a training kind of no, guy. No, yo, I only do barbecue he's, and drink he's beer. A, he's no. a volume, <laughs> many miles, yeah. many kilometers. Yeah, yeah. Kind he of races. Guy. I mean, he definitely always had a lot of race days. He always trained a lot, you know, like his work ethic never suffered. Like, this right. just, he was, you know, when you talk about being professional, he was professional. But then he also had the ability to switch off and go camping and go do the stuff he needed with his family. And I think that's the thing that's most people don't look at is like, it's one thing, you know, you're a professional cyclist. You've been a professional since a young age. You get married, you have kids, but you're a professional cyclist. And then after you retire, things get really hard because then all of a sudden you're home all the time. And, and I think that what I've always admired in him the most is the relationship he had with Tess and with the kids, you know, the ability to balance both 
to allow both to be somewhat in sync and most guys can't do that you know it's all it's one or it's the other i had one you know? question for joao i was thinking before the podcast it comes up with Bring do you have on. any advice on retirement we had the same question from tanking and karsten Karsten, I didn't take too serious, to be honest. He <laughs> says you got a divorce, <laughs> you're yeah. going to use yeah. our last Throw in another divorce. <laughs> so, you know, I think the advice is that it's going to be really hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to, things are going to come up that you're not prepared for, you know, because all of a sudden you don't no longer have a focus. You're no longer preparing for a certain goal and you've been doing that since you were a teenager. So I always tell people, you know, when you retire out of professional professional sports, there's 15 to 20 years of your life that you just didn't have development in. You're a teenager, you're a pro athlete, you're a full-grown adult, what happens to the rest of my life? And I think that people don't give themselves enough of a break of how hard that can be, and they tend to be hard on themselves. They think it should be easier, but it's not. You know, so the first two, three years, it's really challenging, and, and, and when you're- And your focus now? Huh? Because you for yourself, the focus. For me, for me, it was totally different because I never had a pro career like a traditional pro career. I was a pro in the beginning of my career for a year. I was a pro in the end of my career for a few years. And I had a professional life in between where I had to deal with stuff that adults have to deal with. Yeah. You know, all of you so guys that I see retire, you know, it, there is a And shock. how was it when you were like with Cervelo, the 2010 year? Like suddenly you had all the pro yeah. privileges yeah. and... Uh, Yeah, it was and you were like, "This is ridiculous," or you start to no, like I it, mean, you start to take it for granted. No, or? no, for me it was just an adventure. You know, for me it was serious in that you know I was fortunate that a guy like Gerard Vrooman understood what marketing did, and as who, long who as was Gerard Vrooman, Gerard Vrooman was the founder people. of Cervelo. Yeah. You know, and he's the one who said, "You know, we should do this," and yeah. you know, and 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 you know, I happen to be a crazy guy who met another crazy guy, and he understood that the last worker on the team for that job, there's a hundred guys out there, and there is 99 that don't get the job, and for the leader of the team, there is one guy that can do that job, and it's kind of like a pyramid, and he understood that I could execute a job on the team, and at the same time could give the team a different point of view and a lot of publicity. So for me, being there, you know, I was perfectly comfortable because the team was a great group of guys. I mean, that team, Cervelo Test team, if it had one thing, it was an incredible, incredible atmosphere and culture of a team where everybody really did look after each other. Um, and and it was it was a great experience. You know, the races were hard. You know, for me, everything was new. You know, yeah, I, the, I stopped working like you, full you time came, in December. You came, from, you came from New York, publishing. Yeah. Yeah. You had to fight for your spot, yeah. basically, yeah. there, yeah. I think. Yeah. And yeah. how was that compared to the... It was, I mean, it was cycling it, it, because it, I, I had never been in the position you were as a pub, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the publishing world, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. A, I'm also, no. <laughs> you've never actually been part of society. No, but he's editor in chief of a magazine I'll, now. It's totally random, you know, <laughs> no, so I'm also chief editor, but You're chief that's editor, because, yeah. yeah, it's not that I fought no. my way to, no, no, to no. be that. No, that's, so that's, that's, I mean, I'm wondering like, it's like anything else in any competitive world is that there's competition and you have to survive the competition, you know, but the post-retirement thing, I think, you know, teams, riders, the organizations of cycling, whether it's the UCI or the races, they don't put enough, they don't put enough weight into that. And it's a huge shift for people. And there's a reason why a lot of pro athletes get divorced 
you right. know, within three years of their retirements, because all of a sudden you're not going away and you have to deal with your problems, I'm still going away. you know, well, but you're not, you, you know, you know, you don't have that next race coming up and, and you've had, you know, a whole time where your entire family structure has shifted to be accommodating to your life. Well, yeah. that shifts back because now all of a sudden it's like, hey, you're not doing that anymore. And, and, and it's hard for people to give, get themselves the right support. Like Tessa says, he has no excuse anymore. No, but but then again, Lawrence, you, you will have a soft landing, I'm sure of, because I, I think he will still train. Uh, yeah, he will, he will ride 20 k next year, and I, I do not think he will gain one kilo. No, I don't think so. But but then the question becomes, who is he as a husband? Who is he as a father? And that's a really important thing. So that's the decision that you know, as a family structure, yeah. I think people have to make, and they don't. I don't think they put enough thought into that. Is that things shift? You know, you have partners, you that have children that have been waiting for you, exactly. and you can't just then all of a sudden say, "Well, it's business as usual." It's not. That's Families why. Have that's why I do. That's why we do 540k in, in in two days right now because Bodhi is waiting tomorrow. No, the, the reason we're doing 540K. <laughs> and you just have to make choice, choices, and you have to make healthy choices. But more importantly, it's it's a difficult thing that happens in your head, and you have to be able to give yourself a break. You have to be able to understand that this is actually totally normal. Your entire world is about to shift. And when your entire world shifts, you lose a Focus. sense of balance. You lose you lose yeah. your your place, You know your relationship to who you are as an individual. And if you don't give yourself enough Time space accept it, accept and you don't have it, yeah. people around you that can help you say hey what you're experiencing right now is actually totally normal yeah. because of these five reasons and give you a different perspective it's easy to get lost you know really easy to get lost do, 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 do you start? worry for me then huh yeah, yeah. do you worry do I, I worry i you know it's one it's my nickname at the agency is mom within the agency i worry about all you guys all the time i literally check pro cycling stats each day and all honestly all i care about is if anybody crashed you know guys win the guys lose like whatever like i do my job the way i do my job you know and and that's not really going to matter you know whether they win or don't i always tell the guys please just try to win when your contract's up for negotiation make my <laughs> life easier but i really like the number one thing i look for is did anybody dnf and if they DNF'd, did they crash? Why? I mean, yeah. when he crashed in, in you know, in Austria, awesome. like, you know, the mechanic was on the phone crazy. with me before he was even, he was even. He was on the phone the, with Tess. Conscious. Before he was even up. I was on the phone with Tess right away to know if she found out, if she knew, because I didn't want her to find out, you know, that he, there was something wrong, you know, and trying to, and the team The first and thing when I had Tess on the phone, she said, you have to send Joao a message because he, he phoned me totally panicked, like, yeah. 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 yeah, the first yeah. thing she said, like, Phone Joao or send him a message, you're okay. Because the first thing I did was to tell Tessa I'm okay. And now she said, now you have to tell Joao because he's worried. Yeah. That, that amazes me, actually. Because uh, uh, just on a personal note, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he tells stories about you, but also as, a, as one uh, I got another story. Fuck, yeah. tough fucker. Tessa right? was yeah. Put it like this. So this, this, this uh, I, I have a soft side. This. The you first, have a soft side. The I, I care about my athletes. This Absolutely. is this yeah. is another good one. The, the first the first race I did in the US yeah. in 2016 was a grasshopper race. Yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of those grassroots US races. At, at podcast English uh, speaking, uh, they know people yeah. in uh, San Francisco now. If they if they listen uh, yeah. to the, I did that first one. I, I I I'll remember that race for the rest of my life. You know. But after the race, because I wanted to do extra extra kilometers to uh, to do Perinista week after, I went home. I went home by bike from 
occidental towards um, Mill Valley where Joao yeah. was living. And Tessa and the kids, they were waiting there and they played with Chihuahua's kid. They destroyed all his Lego, yeah. my kids. <laughs> where they're Dutch. So yeah. they they're Dutch. But it took me a while to come there. It was maybe a four hour ride still. Yeah. And Tessa said, Tessa was at ease with the kids and she said, Joao, Joao, he, 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 the last hour he was walking around in the room. Where is he? He's supposed to no. be around. And he for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get him. I'm going to watch him. Tessa, can you send him a message? He was. Uh, no, man. <laughs> I mean, I worry about these guys all the time. He's really well. Right. He's got 25 kids, you know. Yeah, like, I do. I do. Uh, the worst part of my career was the day I got the phone call that Adrian Costa, yeah. you know, had the accident. Ah. You know, you can't, you know, it's like being one of my kids. You know, that was the that was the most difficult day when these guys crash, you know, Ken and I, you know, we don't know. Like we start calling the team and, you know, that's that's really for us. That's, you know, that's a really hard thing, uh, you maybe, know, and, 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 and you know, you win or you lose. But, you know, like th that part of it is you can't help but to, to build really, you know, close relationships to them and to the families and to the kids and. Without wanting to pour into this story too much, because and it's it's up to you to discuss it or not. But you you bring it up, so uh, not all listeners know what happened. Can yeah, you take us back to sure. this specific. Adrian is probably you know before this whole junior thing, kids going pro. He was the first one where teams were just killing themselves to sign him out of the juniors, and you know he was on. We put him on Axel's team, and you know he was somebody we had since the junior years, and. You know, eventually the, the racing became too much pressure for him, pressure that he, he literally put on himself. And he walked away from a seven-figure uh, pro contract because he just didn't want to race anymore. And, you know, as an agency, we supported that. You know, we thought if he didn't want to race anymore, it was the right decision. And, um, you know, he w I've always been very close to him. And we stayed friends, and he started doing stuff with me and, you know, did some stuff guiding for us. And he was always into mountain climbing. And, you know, one day he was climbing in the mountains and a, a three-ton boulder fell on him and he's lucky to be alive, but he lost his leg. He had to be airlifted out. And this was last year in August and I was in Portugal. And I got a call saying somebody had, somebody knew somebody who was part of the rescue team and I couldn't reach him, I couldn't reach his mom. And then finally, you know, I got a call that he was in the hospital and he was going to lose his leg and you know it's that's tough you know i literally got on the plane the next day and flew there and was with him for a while and he's been with me you know uh ever since a lot um you know and you can't you can't you can't prepare for those moments you know like this is somebody who was not just an amazing talent who will never have that be realized which is okay when he's decided to stop as an agency we said if that's what you want to do we support you he stayed, he stayed in our lives after that, you know, but then to, to have something like that happen, that's really difficult to deal with as somebody who cares about y y the athletes because you spend, you spend so much time with them, you know, uh, they become part of your family. To, to, to that's, a, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. The, to illustrate this a little bit, this guy flew out especially to come here just for you. Yeah. I knew he would. Yeah, do it. I know, I know, but that that, that strikes me now. Just no, you like telling the story. Well, yeah. You take the. You don't normally. You know what he did? He flew in. The other, f me and Ted King are the first guys. Yeah. In the agency, when he was with Ted in Savelo team, I think he said, "When you ever finish your first Grand Tour, I'll be there on the finish line." And he was already back in uh, New York, I think, the year after yeah. Ted finishes the Giro. 
And he's there in uh, in yeah. Milan. Yeah, he literally like was Wednesday. I'm like, holy shit, you're right. This was, and it was like, the guy's super, going to it finish. was a super hard Giro. It was like his first Grand Tour, <laughs> his first year as a pro. It was that Giro they had like 20,000 feet of climbing in one stage, yeah. you know. And uh, and yeah, I was like, I remember it was Wednesday, and I'm like, wow, you're actually going to finish the Giro. And I bought a ticket, got on a plane on Friday. Friday, got to Italy on Saturday. The Giro finished on Sunday, got on the plane back that day. Monday you morning. Know? <laughs> but, you know, uh, and it's funny, there's a number out there that Ted wrote, you know, and, and my thing has always been show up. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And I can't tell you how many times I wish I hadn't said something, but I always make a point of doing it because I think that's important. You know, you've you got to show up. You know, life is hard enough that for people not to show up when they say they're going to show up. So I always say show up, you know, and I, I like to think that I show up. So, so what what what? Uh, yeah, so we're we're closing. Uh, we're, we're, somebody has a tea time, so uh, we, we have to go. That's what Armstrong always says. Guys, are going to move out? I have a tea time, and he starts playing golf. Um, so, what state do you leave cycling in compared to how you entered it? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to speak about myself like that. I no, leave no, cycling it's, it's in not, a stage. About, you know, like, it's not about yourself. But it's I think cycling is in a, where cycling's at. In a better place, like Joao Tot already. If you see the young juniors uh, yeah. coming into cycling as a pro already, but also if you see some, what I really like uh, is that the young riders don't have to make the choice again: do I do drugs or don't? Because I see. You can win the biggest races in the world without taking without. anything. And I'm pretty sure that's still the case. I did the Giro yeah. with Dumoulin. And so that's the good thing. And uh, for example, also already to start with, the no needle policy is also a great thing for young cyclists because I told the story once. I think like it's, 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 you know, I remember I also did uh, recuperation with needles. Back then it was normal, it was not illegal, yeah. stuff like that. But I remember vitamins, like right? just vitamins, to make yeah. things clear. Yeah. yeah, just to make things clear, vitamins, glucose, or yeah. amino uh, acids. But I remember, the, I remember I was a first or second year pro and I was thinking like, I don't know if I want to tell this to my mother. You know, if you have and if you have that feeling, then you also feel by yourself. You that do was your gut speaking. Yeah, yeah, it's the same as if you do something when you're 12 years old and you do so. You, you steal a cookie, you're also not going to tell it because in, inside, you know, it's it's a little weird or something. And and this was this and and nowadays uh, for the young cyclists, they don't have to think like that anymore. Anymore, they just have to think about training, racing, nutrition, stuff like that. And I think that's a good thing cycling is in right now. It's a funny thing you mentioned him, Sam Oma, <laughs> because we have a little guest appearance on the podcast here. Again. <laughs> Some, something you didn't know, but, but I know. Oh, we have time. There is time. I'll go to the plane. It's all about Schwab showing up. go to get the plane and then we kick Some, it to you. Get up here. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been real. See you on the other side. So, uh, we're back. And uh, the seat of Joao got uh, replaced by uh, nobody less than uh, Sam Oma, who rode with us, who was on the podcast uh, twice already, by the way. Um, Starting to get a friend of the show. He's a friend of the show, uh, even though we do. You wanted to have a, our own Jan Mulder, you said, or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for international oh, listeners. <laughs> yo, yo, okay, I won't even bother. But... Um, 
as it is your goodbye end of career farewell tour farewell <laughs> tour let's make it a, let's, a really, let's make it a really good one uh, and some oma as some has asked me if if there is any room in the podcast oh, i would okay. like to pay my tribute to him wow. we discussed uh, that it was will not be in uh, english it will be okay. in dutch so all yeah, the thing tours. is i wrote it already uh, a while ago and it is in dutch and i did it also on the Dutch way, and it's so hard to translate that in English. Suddenly, I tried about to doing it Don't today, bother. but it's not that. So I feel sorry for whether it's in English or in Dutch. For non for non Dutchies now listening, oh, I'm, um, I'm sorry. No, I'm getting nervous. I know. I know. <laughs> you were you were getting semi emotional <laughs> at the <laughs> intro. Like, uh, oh fuck! Some, some <laughs> no, no, no. It's not that bad. Okay. No further sorry. introductions. <laughs> take it away, mate. Oh wait. Okay, I'll read it down. Lau, I have some words for you, man. So now we go over in uh, in Dutch. Loutje, daar zitten we dan. Maakjes gevuld. Benen gevuld met vermoeidheid, voldoening en een beetje Chianti Classico. De dagen in Toscane delen met mensen waar je het mee kan delen. We hebben het goed. Je hebt afgelopen zaterdag de laatste zinnen van het laatste hoofdstuk geschreven. Het laatste hoofdstuk van je boek als profielrenner. Een jaar of zestien aan pagina's gevuld met niet alleen bloed, zweet en tranen maar ook met machtige verhalen, avonturen, wijsheden en lessen. Je bent er een uit duizenden en dat zullen er velen met mij, waaronder uh, Ricardo Rico, beamen. <laughs> je typerende kop, je niet zo doorsnee babbel en typische lach... alsof je in je eigen astmatische luchtwegen ten onder gaat... maar bovenal je oerkarakter en je liefde voor de fiets. En ik heb het voorrecht gehad nog met je in een ploeg terecht te zijn gekomen... Toeval of niet, ik schrijf het op de plek waar we drie jaar geleden voor het eerst een kamer deelden. Ergens in Zwitserland. Waar ik voor het eerst, mocht, uh, voor het eerst van dichtbij mocht aanschouwen hoe ongelooflijk snel iemand in slaap kan vallen. En ik jouw kennis liet maken met Kraantje Papi. Waar jij constateerde dat je vergeleken met mij best wel snel in een tikkeltje barbaars eet. En ik concludeerde hoe breed het begrip yoga kan zijn. Maar bovenal waarop ik voor het eerst mocht leren van een oude krijger... en mocht genieten van zijn verhalen. Het voorlezen van een paar pagina's uit die 16 jaar is een cadeau... en ik hang aan je lippen en ik zal dat altijd blijven doen. Het aanhoren van je lessen is een voorrecht en ik luister met smart. Natuurlijk de, slo- de slogan, de quote, de les. Live slow, ride fast. Het is dead simpel, zeg je soms. Kijk om je heen, neem de tijd. Ik twijfel soms, afgezien van iets slow, aan de simpelheid ervan... En bewonder daarom des te meer hoe je het hebt toegepast op je latere jaren in je, in je carrière. Door aan anderen, waaronder mij, en ook aan jezelf dit met regelmaat du- duidelijk proberen te houden. Live slow. De beste wijze om iets te leren is vaak de les in te geven. Zo veranderde je, zo veranderde je, te midden van Scotty D en Sneaky Pete in LTD. Trok je een jaartje erop uit in Californië zag ik zo nu en dan opmerkelijke danspasjes voorbij komen op een dansvloer... en zie ik het meest genieten van marshmallows bij het vuur met, met de kids, in welk seizoen dan ook. Het feit dat je dit afsluit, dit alles met een tocht van 540 kilometer in twee dagen op een fiets... geeft in ieder geval voor mij aan dat je het goed hebt gedaan. Het bewijst dat je jaren, dat je jaren geleden het juiste pad bent ingeslagen en dat pad bent blijven volgen. Je stapt met een lachte fiets af... En sluit je boek dicht om het volgende open te kunnen gaan slaan. En als ik hier ons dit alles op me in laat werken, dan voel ik eigenlijk twee dingen. Ik voel vooral passie en warmte. En passie is de schrijver van jouw 16-jarig boek. En is de glimlach na 600 kilometer in je laatste drie profdagen. 
Het is wat ons hier bij elkaar brei, uh, wat hier, Het is wat ons hier bij elkaar krijgt. En passie is wat de wereld nodig heeft. Waarom dan? Omdat ik het best fucking heet heb dit voor te lezen. Uh, maar vooral omdat we toch wel een beetje hier van elkaar zijn gaan houden. En omdat jij er voor me was toen ik het afgelopen jaar in een ingewikkelde periode terecht kwam. En we voor elkaar zullen zijn, zonder enkele voorwaarden. Waarom het is wat de wereld nodig heeft. Ik vraag mezelf wel eens af wanneer mijn wielercarrière uiteindelijk geslaagd zou zijn. Is dat als er minimaal een keer een grote klassieker is gewonnen? Een keer top 10 in een grote ronde is gereden? Of is het al bij het oprijden van de Champs-Élysées? Tuurlijk geven grote, grote uitslagen glans aan een loopbaan. Maar streven we niet als coureurs allemaal een klein beetje door middel van die uitslagen naar een stukje onsterfelijkheid, een erfenis, nalatenschap dat buiten jezelf ook anderen raakt en iets heeft toegevoegd aan zijn of haar leven. In 2003 hoorden we dat je samen met Bouke het wielrennen terug had gegeven aan het volk. En twee weken geleden hoorden we hoeveel Tom aan je heeft gehad. En ik hoop dat vandaag deze woorden van mij een extra toevoeging mogen zijn op je palmares. Dank je wel voor alles. En klap je boek maar dicht, maar blijf er alsjeblieft soms uit voorlezen. En laten we vanavond mooi met z'n allen proosten op jou en op jou alleen. Je hebt het goed gedaan. Nou, this is it. We're done and dusted. Episode 44, my good friend. Time for a new chapter in this amazing endeavor we're in. See you next time. Don't know where, don't know when. And until then, live slow, ride fast. Hey, dan moet hij wat mee doen. Ik laat hem schrijven voor buitenplek. <laughs> gelijk weer ter zaken, gelijk weer ter zaken komen. Hoe, hoe kan je hier aan twijfelen? Oh, dankjewel man. Jezus. Wat goed. Godverdomme Sam. Hè? Ja. Echt, steen goed gast. Boom. Zo. Jezus. Oh, wow. Dan is ik wel een biertje. Ik ook even. Ja. Wow. Dankjewel man. Nee hoor, je hebt het helemaal verdiend. Waar allemaal. Ja toch? We gaan bier drinken. Boom. Ja. Oh, ik ben niet slecht in Stefan. Ja, ik kan... <laughs> ja. Ja. Kom even hier, kom even knuffelen. Ja.